people would always say, oh, we love her. She's great. Oh, Tashina's great. We love her. But uh, we're going to go in another direction. So I've always gotten that. But I'm pretty creative. So I said, Tashina, you know, you don't have two nickels to rub together. You know, I've gone through a lot. I've lost a home. I've lost a lot. But I've lost things that I had to lose in order to realize what I really have and how blessed I am. And that is God's given me a talent, a gift to share with the world. So my guest today and I, we share the same affliction. Neither one of us can twerk. In fact, we're going to create a support group for fellow non-twerkers. But luckily, she didn't make her money, nor is she known for anything that involves twerking. So it doesn't matter anyway. She's an extraordinary actress, a very gifted singer. And I just love her because she just keeps it real. Tashina Arnold is up next on Jamel Hill is Unbothered. So uh, I often joke that I'm the Whitney Houston of sports broadcasting. That doesn't mean that, you know, I have her voice or necessarily her talent, but because me and Whitney both can't dance. And now Tashina Arnold, I could put you in the Whitney Houston club. <laughs> wow. Be- not because you can't fully dance, <laughs> but as we shared off air, both of us lack an inability to twerk. Yeah, I can't twerk. You can't twerk, yeah, but you're supposedly, your daughter, Elijah, is giving you twerking yes, lessons right now. She's trying to give me lessons. She gets a bit frustrated with me because I can't do one cheek at a time. So, you know, Wait, she can do single is. cheek? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, and she's 15, going on 55. So pray for me. Yeah, I'm saying, I don't know no, really I'm, how you feel about <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm perimenopausal and I have a 15-year-old. So, yeah, my household is very interesting. Okay, who, who can one cheek toy? Unbelievable. Um, so what is it like raising a 15-year-old oh in 2019? It's very hard, but it's it's rewarding as well because when just watching her grow, every day is different, you know? So I'm one day I'm with a maniac, the next day I'm with, you know, the sweetest girl ever. Literally, she... She harasses me. She literally harasses me. I was with, I, I was doing the, the tour, press tour for Last Black Man in San Francisco just recently, a few days ago. And I'm, on, I'm in the, you know, the car. The car's taking me and the director and, you know, a bunch of the cast members. And, and I get a call. My daughter's freaking out. And I'm like, Elijah, what's wrong with you? She says, Mom, I don't want my braids anymore. Now, mind you, I just paid. $450 to get her braids because mm-hmm. she wanted braids like her mama. So, okay, we sat up and got braids. The braids haven't been in her hair longer than a week. I said, uh, no, you're not taking the braids out your hair. She proceeds to like lose it. Like it's the la- so she kept calling me and calling me. I was like, this is harassment. I told you you're not. So yeah, every day is different. <laughs> you know, one day I want to choke her, the next day I just want to love all over her. Yeah, you know? I hear you. I mean, <laughs> at least I guess that's where maybe uh, black parenting has progressed. Because 20 years ago, you might have just choked her. Oh, yeah, no, she would have been missing a few teeth. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like I can't, when she was little, I used to tell her, I'm going to knock two of your back teeth out, so only me and you going to know that those back teeth are out. Wow. Oh, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, yeah. That's, I, I, that's good. I, yeah, I put, I put hands on you. Yeah. Man. My mother used to tell me, you can call 911 <laughs> if you want to, but you got to make it to the phone. Yeah. <laughs> and... 
I like that one. Oh, See, man. I should use that one. It's all yours. I told, from I, the book of Denise. That's <laughs> hilarious. I, I, told, I used to tell Elijah all the time. I said, let me tell you something. And I just, you know, she never gave me any reason to think that she would make a phone call. But, you know, a few of her friends made phone calls on their moms. And I was like, yeah, let me, let, let me tell you. Let me talk to you for a minute. Whoever you call, if you call somebody on me, you better be prepared to stay with them. Do you hear me? She was like, what? I said, let me repeat myself. And she got it. She got it. You know, we're, we're, I'm, I'm doing the best as I, as I can as a, as a single parent. Right. It's not easy, but she's, she's a, she, my grandmother, my mother, and my aunt, the three matriarchs that raised me, looked at my daughter by the time she was like, she was about five, six years old. And they were all just watching her. We were just like watching her play. And then they said, you know what? You didn't deserve this. You were never this bad. You were never this. <laughs> so when the matriarchs in your family tell you that, that you, yeah, you my daughter's a trip. She's a she's she's a trip. She's a ball full of lightning and fire and talent, and she she loves. She's just she's everything. Well, everything. the videos that you guys do on Instagram of uh, your own version of car karaoke, <laughs> yes. but it's not karaoke because you guys are actually singing. Yeah, so oh, she you, sings her butt off. Yeah, she which sings. I have no doubt comes from you. Also, a very good singer. But it it, it it's a great moment because I think sometimes uh, especially with so much heaviness that often surrounds our culture that people can just see yes. you know a black girl and a black woman and um, black motherhood experiencing mm. some joy so I always get a kick out of those videos that's the reason why I do it like I I discovered like when I was dropping her off to first grade you know we'd be in the car and literally because I wanted her to go to the best school because she she's always gone to public schools because my mother she, you know she was in a private school my mother said this baby ain't learning nothing she's coming home dumb as rocks i said ma you're calling your grandchild dumb. like there's a lot of comedy in my family just you know take it off love and take it with a grain of salt but i put her in a, a really good public school and would drop her off every morning because we had a long car ride so here you have a five-year-old that has to be in a car damn near three hours out of the day so our mornings weren't the best of mornings and literally by the time I got to the school, I'm like kicking her out the car. Just go. Like drop a roll. Get, drop a roll. Just go. <laughs> and I said, you know, I got to do something about this because my nerves are bad. Her nerves are bad. I'm sending her off to school like a, more of a maniac than what she is. So I, let me figure it out. And I would, I just started a playlist. I said, Elijah, I, I created a playlist for her on, Inst on, um, on, uh, on iTunes and, uh, I said, let's listen to your music. Let's pick out the songs that you like to listen to. And that's what, what I got to get her to start singing. Because she didn't want to sing. She just wanted to dance. And I said, no, let's try, you know, let's sing. And she starts singing to me in the car. So that's kind of how it started. And then I start posting videos of us, you know, just kind of interacting with each other. Because it would let her see how she acts. And she would mind her manners a little better when she could see it on the video, when she sees, you know, how disrespectful she is sometimes. And I'm like, you know, you got to you got to do better. And then people start hitting me like single dad started hitting me on Instagram. A grandmother started hitting me. Like, they're, they're like, I played it for my daughter. It's the only thing that kept her quiet. Can you please, like, post some more videos? So I do it for other people as well. Well, it's great to know um, <laughs> even 
you know, it has an even wider purpose than I suspected it would. As you mentioned, you've been on a press tour for Last Black Man in San Francisco, which I, I've seen. But did you see I it? did see it. And um, but I want to read to you a few things uh, that people have said about the movie. Right. Because okay. I think it's it really speaks to how this has resonated. Uh, one critic wrote, uh, the last black man in San Francisco speaks to the importance of home and community in a way that left my heart racing. The New Yorker called it cinematically witty. Entertainment Weekly said, gorgeously shot, keenly felt, and utterly original in both style and execution. It has a 94% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. What does, hearing that feedback, what does that mean to you? Well, I never, you know, Joel Talbert, the uh, director, he and I just had a conversation last night, and he was just like, wow, like, the, did you hear the, see the reviews? And I, I don't, I don't pay attention to reviews ever. I just don't. Like, no, I understand. Just, yeah. you know. But to hear feedback from people, I like what people think, you know, talking one-on-one. -on -one. This movie resonated with me so much when, you know, not, not, I don't often get a chance to get scripts that come across to me um, that are written for me. You know, I get a lot of uh, scripts that are written for all ethnicity. Um, and I love going out for other roles. Like, I, if it's a, a white role, let me go out for the white girl role. I want to go out for the Asian girl role. I want to go out for the Latino girl But you're girl used role. to having to make it your own. Always. Okay. And never do I never do I have a role, you know, that that's really written for me. So this was a role that was written for me. I love the way it was written. And I, I was just like, I got to do this film. I couldn't, because I read the script and I said, I can't imagine it. Like, how are they going to shoot this? I didn't know what a witch hat was, you know, that, you know, sits on the top of the ha house. I didn't know. I was just like, what is this? And by the time I got into my audition and I was able to read with Joe and Jimmy, I was like, I got to do this film. So I busted my ass to get this role. And it's not a huge role, but it's a very integral part of the, of the you film. You play Aunt Wanda. Yeah, yeah, Aunt Wanda. And I just love the relationship that they have together, her and Jimmy. And then just the fact that this film is 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 doesn't have a love interest for Jimmy Fails. The love interest is the house. The love interest is, you know, him wanting to be home and have a home again, uh, how he did when he was in when he was little. But this movie is really, really um um, timeless, and I want this movie to be played in schools. I think this movie bit should be. It, it's it's a uh, it's um it's it's riveting. It's gripping. It's original, and uh and it's quirky. Like it like it, it is. It's all those things. And I wanted to ask you because I always ask people after you see the film in one word how how do you describe how you felt? About well, it. let's see. Hmm. I guess. Uh, Kinship would be the word because okay. I, I'm from Detroit. And so like uh -huh. a lot of, um, you know, black people in this country, when you're from an urban area and, and just to give people a broader context uh, and without obviously giving away any spoilers about what the film is about, it's really about gentrification. Oh, yeah. It's about and so, um, you know, the, the neighborhood uh, that Jimmy is from, I mean, one of the black neighborhoods in San Francisco. And so that is that has changed mm -hmm. and has been overtaken uh, by other people. And so as somebody who is growing up in a city or grew up in a city that has completely changed yeah. for many of the same reasons that were kind of alluded to in the film, uh, that's why it resonated with me because I could, even though this is about a San Francisco neighborhood, it could have been about 
a DC neighborhood or a Chicago neighborhood oh, or gentr- Detroit. This is happening Gentrification everywhere. is happening It's happening everywhere. actually around the world. Yes. People don't talk about the Palestinians' houses being bulldozed. Like this is happening around the world. And you know, it, it, that simple saying from the Wiz, there's no place like home, but there really isn't. You know, home represents so many things for so many people. And when people are displaced due to the economic disparity, it's 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 a hard pill to swallow. It's hard to watch. And of course, we being black people, we're more, you know, disenfranchised than the, than everybody else. We're much more vulnerable to it, especially yeah. with, as the wealth gap continues to grow between us and pretty much everybody else, um, yeah. as in people outpacing and outdistancing us. Yeah. So, because um, my frustration is that in, in Detroit in particular, and again, I know this resonates kind of everywhere, is that the the black people who are there in the city when nobody wanted to mess with the city before uh, investment was cool to do, you know, they put they put their blood equity into this city. And grocery store chains wouldn't come, department stores wouldn't come, but now that the complexion of the neighborhood has changed, mm-hmm. here comes Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. Here comes Lululemon. The fact that there's a fucking Lululemon in downtown Detroit crazy? blows my mind. I'm I, like, how? So while nuts. I welcome the investment, what happens is the very reason that people are attracted to it, the soul of it, that's the thing they want removed first. That's the first, the <laughs> very first thing. And I think that people watching this movie, and that's why I wish that people would, you know, watch it and walk away with something because it's more than just coming over and taking over somebody's place. You need to come in and try to integrate with the people. That's what I was talking with Rob Morgan. We've been talking about this movie all for like the for Another past two weeks. Another actor in the film. I love Rob. Yeah. Oh, Rob kills it. He plays Jimmy Fail Sr. And we were just talking about how... You know, you know the neighborhood has changed. You see, you know, the white lady walking with a, a poodle at night or with a stroller at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know it's a safe neighborhood. Definitely. <laughs> but it's it, it, we, we get scared when we see that. We get scared when we see Whole Foods because we know it's about to change. And instead of people coming in and integrating and learning about the, 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 the neighborhood and integrating with the people that have kept this neighborhood alive. You know, the show that I'm on, on CBS, The Neighborhood, you know, is about gentrification. So, yeah, I'm, I'm like <laughs> getting yeah. all these gentrification <laughs> roles all of a sudden. Yeah. Roles, but, you know... It's it's this is it's 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 rapid it's rapidly happening like it it's it's um it's it's scary yeah it's scary. So, so what do you I mean what do you hope that people who watch this movie what do you hope they're left with when they they finish this? Well, I hope that they understand the black man a little more because uh, I think even myself as a black woman I. I've become conditioned or I don't want to be conditioned to seeing the what the media portrays uh, the black man to be. I always say the black man is everything. He he does it all. He's he has so many facets to him. He, he you know, he's the nurturer, he's a provider, he's a protector. He's he's a lot of things and unfortunately in America, we don't get a chance to see the black man for who and what he is and he is everything. So, uh, there's you know, there's a moment in the film and I don't want to give it away either. It's one of my favorite moments where you know, you think it's going to be an altercation between these two black men and it turns into something completely different. And I I would love to see more 
more of that in film. I would love to challenge, you know, companies like A24 and and Plan B who have, you know, uh, done this project, Last Black Man in San Francisco. And I would like to see, challenge more companies, more corporations to put projects out like this so that we can teach, you know, other cultures and other people that, you know, it's about respect. It's about learning. You know, you don't have... You don't have to love me. You don't even have to like me, but you you will respect me. Do you feel as if, because um, one of the things that I appreciate about uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco is, I don't know if this movie gets made 10 years ago, you know? Um, oh, or without a white man. Or without a white or man. Or without a very, white man. Very key This guy met Joe Talbot. Mm-hmm. I, we talk, he, and he was like, really? I said, Joe, do you no think way. this movie would have gotten made? And what I love about that as well is Joe's relationship with Jimmy is very... You know, there's a lot of black males with that have white males as friends. And I have a joke. I would say, you know, everybody needs a white girl. <laughs> or everybody needs a white guy. I laugh about it, but it's it's true, especially in America. Because, you know, it's good to have a white friend. Because that white friend actually has opportunities that I, I probably won't have in a lifetime. Or he, that white person in America has a lot more opportunities than, you know, the average black person does in America. And it's unfortunate that it's this way but that's just the way it is and we've come a long way but we got a long way to go yeah a little bit different when you the black friend though yeah <laughs> I, I don't know i don't know if that's necessarily a well, fair trade-off sometimes well, <laughs> it's it's crazy but you know they need us too oh no you yeah, know no, no question about <laughs> they, 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 need they us do too. it's just that it just uh they uh in some cases you know that black friend i don't know if this black friend is like a hologram that can become an excuse <laughs> <laughs> when like some fuck shit happened, they'll be like, but my black friend said it's like, who is this black friend? <laughs> who is this black friend? That- it was so funny. Like, oh yeah, I yeah, I got I, I have a million stories. I'm not, you know, I'm not even gonna Oh, get feel free. Yeah, tell I'm some not, of girl. <laughs> feel free. I'm not stopping you. Girl. But it's 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 refreshing. Mm-hmm. I, I I think for me to be an actress in Hollywood and to be able to be a part of a project like this, it's refreshing. Um, it's a project that I could believe in. It's a project that actually you know barely got here to just do this interview because I've been pushing it. <laughs> you know, and I told Joe, I, I just I just hope this film you know lives forever and creates a, a great legacy. It's um, I don't know if this is just uh, my perception of it, but. Uh, it seems like you, um, Gabrielle Union, Regina Hall, Regina King, that there's this collection of black actresses who have been great actresses for a long time. But it feels like Hollywood just figured this out to some degree. <laughs> well, now, you know, black is a new black. You know, it, it kind of is. Yeah, though. black is a new black. It's like Hollywood. <laughs> well, you look at the net. You know, when you go to Netflix and you look at the variety of programming there. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, so Hollywood figured out black people watch TV. That's interesting. <laughs> well, you know why? Because <laughs> mm. they realize it makes money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything's surrounded by money. Right. You know, you just follow the money trail, follow the money trail. It everything's un- unfortunately about money and not, you know, uh, uh, about m- morality. You would think, you know, morals and standards and and creativity and artistry would be the, you know, the top things on the list, but unfortunately everything is But is, the is thing is though, money. we have had there've been successful films and successful TV series of which you've been a part of a few and but they treat those successes 
with people of color like they're individual anomalies. Right. As opposed to, no, this is just what it is. It's called oppression. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, like, yes. so even they didn't really follow the money. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, it went for a, a long time that it feel like it felt like black people were completely missing from network television. Oh, like, yeah. in, the, in the comedy oh, well, I space. I think we were. We, we know, were. We definitely yeah, were. Yeah, we were. Like, during that whole point. Friends era. Like, yeah. Friends. Oh, well, I, where they had one black friend named Girl. Aisha Tyler. And that was it. That was it. <laughs> that was and, it. and years later. Yeah, you know, years later. It's, <laughs> uh, it was, you know, during the time that I was on Martin, you know, Actually, Seinfeld and Martin, we all we both both shows hit the hundredth hour, hundredth episode around the same times. Um, Seinfeld, they all got Range Rovers for the hundred, you know, episode. I was like, wow, that's dope. Yeah, we got a basket, one basket, full of stuff. I hope not just a basket. At, yeah, we got one basket oh, to share nice. amongst us as a cast. Oh, not even like. Oh yeah, own. no, no, no. I'm talking about one basket. Oh, oh yeah, oh, I one basket, one each. No, no. But to share, we got a we got a basket that was delivered to the set. Huh. Yeah. So the disparity in in recognition and hard work that we do is is you know I mean I could go f as far back as to you know I went to school I went to uh, Fiorello H Laguardia but it was music and art prior to that and um, I was in gospel chorus and gospel chorus actually you know the school is based in opera like it's based you like it's kind of an annex to Juilliard um, and I a gospel chorus like you could hear it through the school like gospel chorus made a lot of money our concerts raised a lot of money for that school and uh, yeah the money was never used to go back into gospel chorus but it was used mm. yeah so this is it's just it's it's always been this way and hopefully movies like this will incite thought incite change incite something in people that do have that people that are in positions of power people that are in positions to really really make change make economic change make creative changes hopefully it incite thought in them to to really consider you know the um consider us do you feel like that's happening now because there is when you look around and you see say um you know a lot of success like atlanta and insecure and all these different shows mm -hmm. and different types of movies as well um like the one that you're in do you feel like it's actually a a desire and a thirst to have complicated stories or funny stories or different kind of stories about people of color i wouldn't say there's a desire and thirst yet that's just my own opinion, though. But I will say that just by you and I sitting here talking about this, there is change. You know, that that we're, we're engaging in dialogue, you know, and that's even with this movie, this movie, I, I see people, they come out and they, they just they talk about it. So the more we do you know, films like this, the more we engage with, with each other, the more we try to figure the shit out. You know, I think it'll get better, but we got a long way to go, Jamel. We got a long way to go. Speaking of desire and thirst, I'm sure you hear this all the time. There is a desire and a thirst for Martin I know, You know what? You like how I did that? That was a good you segue. Know, that was a good segue. I like that. So they paid that, the big that, bucks. That, okay. Yeah, that's why you do what you do. <laughs> that's why I do what that's I do. That's why you do what you do. But uh, <laughs> there seems to be quite a bit of a desire and thirst for that. So yes. I heard there have been some talks. How serious yes. are these talks? It's very serious. Ooh. Yeah, it's very serious. Now, this is the issue. You know, Martin, you know, Bad Boys 3, him and Will are doing, you know, the big time movie thing. Mm -hmm. And Tisha just booked the show. Carl is out doing his thing. He's always doing something. Carl is always working. And then, 
You know, me, I just got a, the second season for the neighborhood. So what we're trying to do is figure out how, when, and where, <laughs> you know, but it's not dead in the water yet. It's not dead. In the water. Martin really wants it to happen. So I've been telling everybody, just sit tight, hold tight. Because of course, Martin, the show Martin will never, ever be the same without Tommy. It's never going to be the same. So when people say, uh, you know, it's going to be a, a Martin reboot, I don't use the word reboot. I say rebirth. You know, uh, if it happens. So, I mean, when I if I had a dollar, girl, listen, I own my <laughs> you own. You need to act, right? <laughs> um, yeah. But it's, I'm happy. I, I I hope that it happens. Well, it, it's I, I'm not just saying this because you were you're sitting here, but I honestly was watching Martin this morning. That's, it was the episode. Y'all not sick of Martin? No. Y'all not and sick in fact, of these I was shows? wondering had I seen it before. It was the wow. one where uh, Gina and Martin had just uh, they you know they were sort of still in the newlywed phase and and Martin thought Gina was going to divorce him. Uh -huh. uh, the lawyer and um, the one, it was really, it was a, you know, big confusion. They were having some some issues and it was uh, Tommy and Cole were trying to set up a satellite uh, box and Cole messed around and destroyed our whole presentation. Like it was a whole, Oh my God. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> like I literally was watching it this Girl, morning. I, it's crazy. <laughs> I, the main thing, I remember those shows, you know, when, I remember what happened off camera. Like I wish, you know, the, People could uh, have been privy to what happened off camera. Like, when I tell you we came to work to laugh every day, oh my gosh, the shit that we did off camera was just Well, the funny thing ridiculous. is like- Ridiculous. What, <laughs> what makes me laugh harder is when I look at you guys' faces and I could tell you trying so oh, no. hard to hold it in. <laughs> oh, we cracked up. Because people don't realize when we first started, Martin, started doing Martin, we were all professionally trained for the theater. So Martin doing a, a multi-camera, Martin was the only one who, you know, he had never done theater before. Theater before. I think he had just did that first, what was his first movie he did? Um, he did with Robin, Robin uh, Williams. What the With uh, Robin that? Harris. Robin Harris, thank yeah, you. Yeah, Robin so Harris. Robin Harris. Um, he was, I'll he, think of it. It was some movie. And yeah. then he, you know, he did the movie with Tisha. But right before that, he had just did the movie with, with Tisha. And, you know, uh, that's when he asked Tisha to do the show. But... Martin really didn't have the concept of multi-camera. So multi-camera, you have, you have four cameras and, you know, you got to be on the exact spot, you know. So he's used to stand up and doing his own thing. So a lot of times if he's on, if he wasn't on his mark, we, I would, you know, we would push him. You're like, like, you know, scoot this way, scoot this way. And he'll, and he'll incorporate it. Huh? We house about, party. Yes. Thank How you. could I forget that? Thank anyway. you. <laughs> no, that's the menopause. It's the menopause, y'all. I'm telling you. But I would, you would see him laughing because I would be pushing him on his mark. Or like, so we, we fucked with each other all the time off camera. So a lot of that stuff, like originally my character was written for a, a heavyset girl. And so when I auditioned for it, all the jokes were heavyset. Fat girl jokes, unfortunately, but and I was like, you know, of course my body was banging back then. I was skinny, okay, you know. Look, I was a little banging back then, you know. You know. You look the same. I, no, okay. I don't. Girl, let me see. I'm sagging and dragging. Call, listen, girl, shut up, Jamel. <laughs> so why do you think uh, years later um, that show still resonates with people? Because we didn't know what we had. Like it was, I had this man that was in jail for, locked up for 10 years and he told me, thank you, ma. And I was like, for what? He said, you kept me current. You kept us, you kept me with my ears to the streets because he would listen, watch Martin and listen to the lingo. One of my, one of my girlfriends friends she worked at Rikers Island she said it was the only time she could get sleep because when Martin was on the whole cell, cell block was quiet everybody because they, were, they weren't fighting over the TV and stuff so Martin you know it was just during a time 
in the industry and in Hollywood and in black Hollywood that there was just so much creativity. Like everything was kind of new. I mean, you know, nothing is new under the sun, but there was just, it was a newness. It was a, it was a, a fresh, you know, new take on, on, on black love and a fresh new take on, on friendship. You know, it's just, it was, it was an interesting time. I, I loved the nineties. The nineties was just a great time. Well, it's amazing when you watch the show back and you realize how many, celebrities came through that show. Yeah. I still remember the Biggie episode. Oh my God. That you know, I still remember the Biggie episode. Oh my God. We were so you, excited. You and back and, and that was the first time that they really let me and Tisha interact a lot with each other. Uh, and we just we was like we're gonna run away with this because yeah. we were Martin all of us we were so excited to have Biggie on that set and Biggie had just gotten to, into an accident and he was on a cane and I was standing at the door then it's right before the scene started so I was like I know you know I, I, I was like how am I gonna what am I gonna do when this door opens so I was like ding 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 Mary I'm gonna do Mary I'm gonna do my my best impression that I can of Mary you know so I I just was like you know we were just all goofy you yeah. know it's all in fun you just gotta laugh and just you know enjoy what you do and I'm blessed to 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 have been on Martin and you know I always say Martin uh he comedically is a genius and um, you know, you got to think. He taught me how to think quick, you know, and because you never know what's going to come out of his mouth. You never know what he's going to do. And literally the cameras would just roll and the crew, would, everybody would just be uh, on the floor bawling with laughter. <laughs> now, um, obviously that last season, it was a, a lot of turmoil. Yes. Um, uh, between him and, and Tisha. Did you ever feel that you were kind of caught in the middle? Never. Mm. Martin did not make me feel uncomfortable. Tisha never made me feel uncomfortable. It was just a thing that came to a head. How and difficult was the season for you, though? Very. Okay. Very, very. Because uh, I went from being... Because nobody knows, but... I mean, nobody notices, but I wasn't in all the episodes. My character for the first that. two yep. years, I was 7 out of 13. Uh -huh. So I wasn't in all the episodes. So I went from kind of being not even second fiddle, but fourth fiddle to being you know, the only female character on the show. So it was a little hectic, uh, but I, I still welcomed the challenge. Um, but it was hard getting through moments because it's like, you know, you want, I want my friend there with me, but, you know, things have to have Things happen for a reason. And the wonderful thing is that she and Martin have repaired. I saw they're, the photo. Like, yeah. Yeah, you and God her were good. with him. Yeah. God is good. God is good because, you know, just... Things happen. We grow. We all, we all, you know, take make different choices in life, and we all grow. We all don't make the right decisions, and uh, for us to all be, you know, uh, together again and and talking again, and you know, even Tisha and I, we, like, we just went our separate ways for a minute, and that's my girl. Like, I've been around that bitch for you know how long for for damn since we were eleven and twelve, you know. So it's like things happen. And 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 things come full circle, but you know when your heart is in the right place and you stay prayerful, and you know it, it, it it'll come back around. Was there any part of you that was kind of upset with both of them? You know, sometimes I would get frustrated um, because you know you want to. It's like what is it? Make it like it was. You know, it's like I wanted to go back to way it, the way it used to be. But we grow and things change, and I I I, I think 
it was just a, it was a, a thing for me that I was growing as well. You know, I was growing as 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 a, as an individual, as a black woman. I was growing in 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 terms of just being on my own. I lived with my mother all my life in Jamaica Queens. So when I moved out to L.A. out and and I booked Martin, you know, it was the first time I paid rent. So it was a lot of first times and a lot of first things for me as a, as an individual. So it was a very memorable moment, but good times. You know, for the most part, everything was. All good. I mean, God is God has really, really blessed me to be around some amazing people who really have my best interests at heart. Yeah, I should slightly clear that up a little bit because I know Tisha. Um, she has some serious accusations that she uh, alleged toward Martin. So I don't want to make it seem like I was blaming her. Oh no, no. For, yeah, so Listen, I don't want people to mistake that. I, yeah. I, I'm happy that it's at a, a point that I can even have some type of discussion about right. it because you know, at a point, you know, you just don't want to talk about it, can't gotcha. talk about it, and you know, it says it's not. It, there is nobody at at complete full fault here. Shit happens. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when Shit I asked you that question, it was more because I know you all had a really good thing. Yes. That was going, and so for the last, because uh, me and my friends have talked about it when we were like, man, this show one of the top shows of all time and you don't realize especially when you watch it back how how short the run actually was yeah. you know and then it was like man Five you know years. you sort of play like what if you yeah. know what if that things would have been a, a little bit differently so that was why I asked yeah, you yeah you know you can never play that what if game you'll drive yourself nuts well like you said everything happens for a reason yes right? I'm um, a true believer in that alright well I um, I definitely want to ask you about Tommy but uh, let's take a quick break and uh, we'll talk about him uh, on the other side you got it We're discussing Martin, and you brought up the fact that uh, even when a rebirth takes place, that it won't be the same because you won't have Tommy Ford, who, um, you know, passed away. How would you describe your relationship with him? He seemed like a oh really fun... Tommy swore he was a preacher. Oh, really? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, Tommy and Tisha used to tell Tommy, shut your ass up. <laughs> no, Tommy was such, he, Tommy's that guy, like everywhere we went, everybody knew Tommy. You know, his big, we call him Big Scoop Ball Head. Everybody knew him, everybody loved him. He was just genuine. He was a great father. Um, really just, just, one of those guys that just made you feel wanted. Like, and you know, I we used to tease a guy. We said, Oh, fat girls love Tommy. Because <laughs> he would get the biggest women that just want to hold him and hug him and rub his head. So we used to tease him all the time. But he he's just that kind of guy. Just really engaging, fun. You know, he had that loud laugh and he was just a really genuine person that that it's just unfortunate to, that, to, 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 for him not to be here. Now, did you ever expect that the lane, I guess, would that would develop for you, I'll say it that way, would be uh, in the sitcom, you know, <laughs> lane, I guess? Y yes. I didn't know how long. I didn't know if I could get into sitcoms. I was doing the Buddy Holly story tour. Um, live, like on stage. And I said, if I sing one more Big Bopper song, I'm going to kill myself. I was just so tired of doing it. And, you know, I wasn't making a whole lot of money, but it was work. And it was a good tour. And uh, we are traveling all over. And I was like, yeah. And so they asked me to do six more months of it. And I was just like, you know, I just want to be on television. 
You know, I just want to make more money and put less time, less work in, in, you know, and just not. And I don't like the repetitive all, you know, I don't like, you know, do, doing it over and over every night, eight shows a week. It's just after a while, it does get very tiring and taxing. So I kept telling myself, I want to do nighttime. I want to do nighttime. I want to do a sitcom. So I asked myself, I said, before I sign this contract to do another six months on this tour, if I don't go on this tour and I decide to go to California and get my get a you know take get, take a shot at you know uh you know auditioning for a sitcom if I don't get work will I regret it and when I answered myself no I was on the next thing smoking I took my last paycheck from doing the the uh, being on tour uh I bought a ticket one way ticket on MGM Airlines cuz I said I'm coming to LA in style <laughs> And did you get I, yourself first class? Oh yeah, MGM. Oh, oh. You don't remember MGM Airlines? I do not. Girl, MGM Airlines was like a premier. Like it was like the Concorde. It's like a mini Concorde. It was beautiful. The whole plane is first class, and MGM Airlines obviously owned it. I mean MGM owned it, and the seats were like the size of couches. Like it was just, I mean, first class all the way. And I spent my whole paycheck on that flight to come there, and I booked. I uh, booked three roles. Martin, I wasn't even I wasn't even trying to get on Martin. I wanted to do Martin because Tisha was doing it, but I was up, I was Martin was in second position. I had booked two other roles prior to that, but the, those roles didn't get picked up. I had a, uh, it was a sketch comedy called Main Street, and then Dan Aykroyd had a show called uh, CCPD. Both of those shows didn't get picked up. So it automatically put Martin in the second position. And um, that's how I ended up on Martin. It's crazy. <laughs> Talk about your, your long-standing friendship uh, with Tisha. You guys have known each other since your youth. 11 and 12. Yes. We've been trying to get rid of each other for years. <laughs> so how did, how did your paths cross? Our paths cross on auditions. You know, we were little, two little black girls going on auditions. And there was this one girl that we just, she always got the part. She all, like, as soon as we saw this one, girl we were like ah here she is of course she's gonna get it so at some at a, at a certain point Tisha and I just we would be the only ones talking to each other in, in the auditions because you know sometimes you know kids are really cruel like it was real competitive like the girls would sit there and not say anything to you and just kind of roll their eyes and just you know it was just me and Tisha just started talking to each other and we just started saying hey if I don't get it I hope you get it if you don't get it I hope I get it you know and we just ended up becoming friends and then we auditioned we never worked together and until we did little shop of horrors we were by the, that was by the time we were 15 and 16. Wow. So when you have a, a dream like wanting to, to act and, and sing and perform at that age, I mean, were your parents, were they always supportive? Did they say, like, maybe you should go with something that's a little more quote unquote stable? Uh, how did you navigate that part of it? My mother, by the time I was 12, she said, look, I'm not missing any more work. I, you got, she taught me how to take the train. I was a latchkey kid. She was like, look, she showed me how to take the train. She said, uh, be back by before it gets nighttime. And then she gave me $5 for a, a can of soda and a pizza. And I, I was, yeah, I was, she was like, do you really want to do this? I was like, yes. She was like, okay, well, you're going to have to do it. And I did it. I, you know, I, I, it's just show business is something I've always wanted. It's just always just been in me to do. I drove my mother nuts. Just how my daughter's driving me nuts. My, I was you getting I your was payback. Just, yeah, I am getting my <laughs> payback in that sense. Yes, I am. Were Were there any times that you were ever close to to quitting and saying never, never? Okay, I, I, quitting show business 
has never ever that's a good question Jamel you're the first person that ever asked me that question that's interesting never never have I thought to quit quit what how do you quit what you what you do what you love I wake up every day loving what I do I, I never ever ever even had dreams of quitting yeah well I ask you that because I know being you know a black actress isn't easy it's you know? not. Yeah. And, it's uh, not. And in fact, if somebody, in not this case somebody, it is me. Uh, I mean, how would you describe what it's like being a, a black actress in Hollywood in 2019? Um, it's harder, especially a little, it's harder for me now because I'm older, but easier for me in the sense because I've, I've made great relationships. See, people don't realize half of the industry is about... It's 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 about who you know, but it's really mainly about those relationships with you that you have with who you know. God has blessed me to not. I've never had to sleep for a job. I've never had to compromise my morality. I've never had to to compromise my love for wanting to do what I do. So it's like you put that energy energy out there. That's exactly what you'll get. And and I've met some amazing people along the way. I mean, literally after Martin, people don't realize I didn't work consistently for 10, 10 straight years. For I didn't, 10 years. I didn't book a role. I I didn't book a a role that would really feed me and would be, you know put put money into my 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 pension plan and stuff. Yeah, no. I I I kind of just took whatever jobs that I could because I was kind of typecasted after Martin. People would always say, "Oh, we love her. She's great. Oh, Tashina's great. We love her." But uh, we're gonna go in another direction. So I've always gotten that. But uh, I'm pretty creative. So I said, Tashina, you know, you don't have two nickels to rub together. You know, I've gone through a lot. I've lost a home. I've lost a lot. But I've lost things that I had to lose in order to to realize what I really have and how blessed I am. And that is God's given me a talent, a gift to share with the world because comedy and and singing and all of these things, even though they, they're self-gratifying for me, but it's also self-gratifying for somebody else. I'm feeding somebody else's spirit. That's why I share my daughter's videos. My daughter, I, I looked, I was like, my daughter's been on Instagram her whole life. This is, is this good? Is this responsible? But I realized why I do it because I like to share. I think in, in life there are givers and takers. And I never want to be a taker. I want to be a giver. And I want to give people what they need spiritually. I want to give people what they need uh, in order to be a better person. Because people have given me that along the way. So I, I never want to be in a position where I don't want to do this. I never want to be in a position. I just stop, you know. I, when I didn't have two nickels to rub together, I made I made bandanas. And I, I made, you know, uh, I just, I'm just creative. I like working with my hands. And I started chatting with rags before I had my daughter. So I was like, okay, this is a good thing. I, you know, I start making them for all my friends like Regina King and everybody, Vivica Fox. So all my... Friends were celebrities, and they helped me by just supporting me. They would just wear it, and in them wearing it, it just got a lot of recognition. Without me, because I just made them for birthday gifts and stuff. I was giving them away. And then um, Justin Timberlake started wearing them. My friend Tony was his choreographer, and he was like, Justin is going to love these. So I made a bunch of them for Justin. He started wearing them in the NSYNC concerts. 
And literally, I walked, I went to a concert and saw little girls with makeshift bandanas all over the place. And I was like, wow, I'm really in business. <laughs> but I've always been able to sustain myself somehow, even when the, the industry didn't love me back. So was that, you know, very a very sobering thing to have a hit show like Martin and then go through that period where maybe for anybody else, I don't know, maybe if you were white, maybe if whatever the case may be, to not have that be the thing that sprung you into an even higher direction right away. Like, how were you, how did you sort of reconcile that despite the body of work you clearly showed that your reward wasn't what it should have been? Well, to reconcile that is just always remembering and to stay grounded, to not hate or be jealous of anybody else because I see them, you know, excelling and to not become bitter. I've seen, you know, I don't like watching bitter people. Just bitter people, they're toxic and they they spread their bitterness. And I never wanted to be that person. So I always talk myself through things. I write things down. A lot of times if I become frustrated, you know, I'll write things down. If I become confused and I don't understand or I need a decision, to, I have a decision to make, I'll write the pros and cons so I can visually see it. I'm a visionist. You know, I like visualist or visionist. Is it finished? Yeah, visionist. Well, oh, shit, that. I didn't go to college. You know what I mean. But <laughs> Visualist. <laughs> but that's... That's, that's that's it always helped me kind of put everything into perspective but yes I've been embarrassed I've been I literally got to the point where I, at one point I was so depressed I had lost my home so I had to stay with a friend and it was just hard it was like my the world my world came crashing around me and it wasn't just because I made bad decisions you know and when that happens to you it's just like why what like what could I've done differently? You know, you know, you it's, you get that 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 slap in the face, like that smack of reality. Like yeah, and I literally didn't have anything spiritually to give anybody, and now I literally hit rock bottom. And people always equate rock bottom with financial, and that's just not always the case. Like I've been without money before. Like you know, I'll make a way, but to be spiritually bled to be at a place where physically I know my brain and my spirit and my soul is telling me just, you know, lay down. Don't get up. Just stay in. Don't don't get up. Don't say it. Don't talk to nobody. You know, keep it to yourself. Because I do, as, as sociable as I am, I'm that much of a crab. I'm a real crab. I go in my shell. I could be in my house for days and never come out. I, I'm just... but. I had to, my family and people and friends prayed me through it. And it wasn't a long stint, but I never want to go back to that place. It sounds, I mean, you're describing just depression, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And what, you know, but when you're going through it, what is depression when you're going through it? You know, you get to the point where you, 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 I think if, 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 if bad things, you feel like bad things continue to happen to you and you feel like there's no break, there's no sunshine, there's no, you know, clear path for you, you know, then what? So, you know, I never had thoughts of suicide or anything like that because I've talked to people like that. You know, I've been around that to, you know, talk people, other people through stuff like that. So to be in that position, you know, I just had to get through it. 
and you just you just talk yourself through it and 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 there's nothing you know constant but change and every day will get better. Something will happen to where it'll brighten my spirit. So I just, you know, let's let me. I'm gonna get through. It's just, you, you know, you gotta continue to 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 get through life as best as you can. And and you know, I know I never, I'll never go back there ever. Was there um, something, maybe one thing, or was it a collection of things that kind of brought you through it? You mentioned your family, your support system. Yeah, prayed you through it. Um, Laughter. With, okay. you start laughing again. <laughs> yeah. Because when you're the person that's used to making people laugh and then you realize that you're not laughing anymore, it's just, it, you, you know, it's like, wow, something's not right. So I got to fix what's wrong. So how did uh, Everybody Hates Chris come about? I auditioned for it. Listen, girl, I'm going to audition it. Like, listen, they, and J- Jamel, I'm telling you, nothing's been given to me, really. You know, things have been given to me, but I, I've, I've had to bust my ass for a lot of my shit. And, you know, it's been worth it, you know. And unfortunately, most, all these roles that I've gotten, it's been worth it. Like, um, Everybody Hates Chris, I, I thought I was at the wrong audition. And I walked, I was like, oh my God, I'm supposed to be at another audition. The guy was like, no, 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 this is where you're supposed to be because I have you done. You see, 310, that's when you're supposed to be. I was like, okay. And I walk in the door and Chris Rock is sitting in the room at my first audition. I was like, wow, he's serious. So because very rarely do you see actors, you know, celebrities who have their own productions and they're in the room on the first day of your audition. Like usually they come at the end, you know, after they've watched her tape and stuff. And Chris Rock told me, he was like, Tashina, that was a fucking no brainer. He was like... Wait, he says. Okay, so you almost I, did like a perfect impression of him. <laughs> you literally almost did a perfect impression of him. But Chris, you know, it's people like Chris Rock, you know, Martin Lawrence. These 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 brothers have have given you know people like myself a you know a shot at at, at success. And I guess now Cedric the Entertainer. Now said, <laughs> and it's crazy what said he said. It's like I can't believe I've known Cedric all these years. And never worked with him. I was like, Cedric, do you realize we've never worked with each other? So now I'm on a show with him, and he's such a good guy. What a great guy he is. And just, you know, God, like, I I mean, I can't say enough how much God has blessed me to be a part of some really, really great people, great pieces of work, and just uh, um, um, a good life. I I have a good life. So how would you describe career-wise the phase that you're in now? I'm in a phase where I'm just trying to get through this goddamn menopause, man. I've just, I just, I can't. It's just, it's the worst. Like this menopause is the worst. You like the I want to, yes, that. you know, yeah. I want to be sexy again, and I really can't because shit is dragging. So I'm doing things for myself to make myself feel better, and that is, you know, I start get like when I when I'm like on the show, I have to wear wigs all the time. So when I can get a chance to get out of the wigs, like I'm getting my braids. So me and my daughter get our braids done. I'm always getting my the nails braids she doesn't done. like apparently, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I just. I, I do things to make myself feel good. I, you know, I don't like going to the gym anymore. I used to be a workout buff, and I just don't. I can't tell, honestly. I, <laughs> girl, listen. I just, I, I'm like, yeah, I'm just work out enough just so I can hold my stomach in. I'm good. <laughs> but but that's another symptom of menopause. You, I'm, you're tired. Tired all the time. and shit, You get hot sweats. You know, I was dating somebody, and I just woke up, and the whole bed was wet, and it wasn't from happiness. It was... <laughs> <laughs> Can I say that? Yeah, okay. you can say that. You can say that. I don't know if the people listening are ready to hear it. 
but you can definitely say it. Oh, don't you cut that out. <laughs> no, I'm I, think, I think we uh, just saw uh, my engineer, Rich, over there just Rich. turn about 35 shades red. <laughs> Rich is like, these black chicks on trip. <laughs> no, but that, that, that's, that's but, real. Though. But I'm a sharer, mm-hmm. you know, and I... I know that a lot of women go through this and a lot of women don't talk about it. They feel like, oh, you're having your personal summer. I'm like, what the you're, fuck are wait, you whispering? Wait, personal summer? Yeah, they call it personal summers. I'm like, I've yeah, never heard hot of that. flashes? Yes, I'm having a hot your flash. personal summer. Yeah, you know, I'm not ashamed of it. I share, I like, if I'm going to suffer, I'm going to make sure every fucking body is suffering. We got all visualized. Oh, we all, we all in this together. Okay, I feel you. <laughs> My mother is like, you're going to get the change soon. I was like, oh. hold on, just because you got it early, don't, don't put yeah. that devil on me oh listen i don't <laughs> listen tell your mama don't say that because it's horrible it's yeah. horrible my mother didn't have hot flash i was like is is it hereditary like what my mother looks at me she's like oh my god you look terrible i'm like thanks ma i feel so much better <laughs> thank you <laughs> i swear you could have gone into stand-up oh, no. um Mm-mm, that's but, the one thing i'll never attempt never. <laughs> well you're just naturally funny so <laughs> um but no i mean i just i'm really happy just to see just how your career has just really blossomed and you're a testament to somebody who had a dream never gave up on it and you know stayed the course despite some of the things personally that you went through that's why I asked you that question before about you know I just was curious as to what made you keep going you know despite the setbacks despite whatever it is you face so it's really inspirational that you still were able to maintain a a strong sense of who you are despite what you went through I been told that you know like I'm you know I'm I'm emotionally not all there because I I hold some of my, some of my emotions in because I like to process things the way I like to process it you know I don't like to put my burden of my emotions on anyone because I see people do that all the time which is probably one of the reasons why I act it's probably one of the reasons why I like making people laugh. You know, sometimes I did a show when I was a little girl, this movie with Dina Merrill called Only My Mouth is Smiling. And it, it, I think it was an adaptation from a book. But I don't want to be that person, you know, only my mouth is smiling. I, I want to be that person that I'm really laughing on the inside. So I tell young people and adults that want to be in show business all day, it's like, why do you want to do it? Do you want to do it to be a star? You want to do it to make money? Because stars fall and money goes away and money gets spent. You got to do things because you want to do it for the love of it. What change are you going to make? What are, you, what, are, what are the positive things that you're going to get out of doing it? What are you giving and who are you giving to? So I always try to think about those things to, to keep me going, you know, People, you, you, you're, you're, you're that way as well. You don't, we don't know each other personally, but I know of you because I know all my, my, my sisters and a lot of my <laughs> brothers that know you. So we lift each other up. This is what the fuck we're here for. To lift each other up is not just about you. It's about all of us. And how do we play a part in that? Yeah, uh, I could not agree more. Um, I didn't tell you this at the start of this podcast, but we have. We end each podcast um, with a very, 
I like to think this will eventually be an award-winning segment. Uh, it's a segment Speak called... Speak it. Okay, Speak I'm it. speaking it to existence. It. They just probably won't be able to repeat what the segment is, but <laughs> okay. it's called Fuck It, I'm Bothered. And so oh. that's coming up uh, okay. next with uh, Tashina Arnold, because I have one issue I'm very bothered about, and you're, uh, you guys will hear about that uh, after the break. Well, let's talk about it. Shit. <laughs> So, uh, as I mentioned to Tashina, who has been laughing off air <laughs> when I told her what this final segment is called, which is Fuck It, I'm Bothered. And those who are regular listeners, you all are used to this. Uh, so, you already know what goes down. I pick something I'm bothered about, go off on it for a little bit, and then uh, we conclude. And you all can live your happy and best lives. <laughs> so, Fuck It, I'm Bothered. By the city of Boston. Not the whole city, just these fucking idiots who decided to announce during Gay Pride Month, no doubt, uh, in case you didn't know, it is Gay Pride Month, that they were organizing a straight pride parade. Oh my God. <laughs> yes, which is expected Jesus. to take place oh. on August 31st. Now, the organizer, Mark Sahady, he said on Facebook that the parade was a way to poke fun at, quote, identity politics. You know what's not funny, Mark? The fact that gay teens are four times more likely to commit suicide than straight teens or the fact that four out of ten LGBT youth say they live in a community that is not accepting of them. According to Gallup, four percent of Americans identify as LGBT. So riddle me this straight pride people who needs to be celebrated and shown more public support and acceptance Gays, lesbians, transgendered, and queer people, or heterosexuals whose norms pretty much permeate every corner of our society. Straight Pride Parade, you know when it happens? Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 52 weeks a year, all right? By the way, I am constantly amused by when Boston gets called out for doing something that is within the character of what we perceive Boston to be because the Bostonians' defense is always ridiculous because they always kind of stoop to these racist, sexist, or homophobic stereotypes, and their defense is always, well, we're not as bad as some other cities. We might be holding a straight pride parade, but at least we're not Saudi Arabia where consensual same-sex acts are still punishable by death. At least that's not us. Get your shit together, Boston. But I tell you what, as a society, here's what we need to do. And Tashina, I hope you get this line. Oh, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting <laughs> all of it, girl. <laughs> we need to gather the straight pride parade people. The how come there isn't a white history month, folks? The why isn't there a white entertainment television network fools? And the what about black on black crime people? Put them in a box mm -hmm. and then we're going to close that box and we're going to throw that bitch in the ocean. Mm -hmm. And the only way you can get that box out is you got to be Jack motherfucking Cousteau. That's what I'm bothered about. <laughs> I love it. Clap, 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 clap. How about we ship the box to Russia? <laughs> well, we're a little too friendly with Russia these days. That box <laughs> might come back. But I just want to thank you, Tashina, for oh, joining man. me. Everybody, please go see Last Black Man in San Francisco. It's a beautiful film. It's shot extraordinarily well and it's just a different kind of story and if you have issues as I do with gentrification this is definitely going to be something that resonates deeply with you so good luck with the movie good luck with everything that you have going on keep entertaining us you and your daughter oh, on Instagram keep singing you. us 
uh, singing to us and bringing us that black girl joy. So everybody out there, stay unbothered. Mel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify Studios and Unbothered Inc. and recorded and edited by Rich Burner and Cadence 13. Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Evan Dick is our executive producer. Jesse Burton is the executive producer for Spotify. And Denise Holly is the program manager. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. 